Heavenly Father, no matter what life throws at us, no matter whether we're on the peaks of the mountains or in the depths of the valley, we will worship your name. Because you are always there, no matter what we're going through. You're always there taking care of us, watching over us. And we praise you for that. And that's why we can worship your name. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we're going to continue today our sermon series called Anchor. And I'd like to take a moment to begin with to kind of reflect on what we've covered in the first two weeks of this series. In week one, we introduced Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19 and the idea of being anchored to hope. And then last week, we talked about the necessity of having a firm and a secure hold on that anchor of hope. Now today, we're going to speak a little bluntly about the fact that we live in a world where storms will come which highlights the necessity of needing an anchor. And it's, it's not a matter of if the storms come. It's a matter of when will they come. See, the storms are coming, and there will be adversity, there will be suffering, and there will be pain. When we are faced with any of these, we need to be prepared beforehand ready for whatever may come our way. Now, I can't imagine a ship ever leaving port without having an anchor on board. So why are so many of us just floating through life with no real direction in our life, no plan for when adversity comes, no anchor on board? Maybe it's because we don't see the need for an anchor. Or maybe we've just never really had the plan ahead. Or maybe we've just had a relatively easy life and we don't think too much about hardship or suffering. Whatever the case may be, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. When the storms come, what are you going to do? Will you be ready? Thankfully, Jesus had thoughts on this very matter. Last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 6 and how it relates to the hope that we have in the kingdom of God. Well, this week, we're going to go to the next chapter of Matthew. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 7 and see how it relates to having hope in the midst of a storm. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. See, in this section of Scripture, Jesus is putting an exclamation point on his previous teachings in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, which we often call the Sermon on the Mount. 
It was the greatest sermon ever preached. And we did a series on that. I don't know how long ago it was. It was a little while ago. But for, for hundreds of years, it's been commented on. It's been scrutinized. It's been picked apart. And it's been countless books have been written about the Sermon on the Mount. And at the conclusion of Jesus' greatest sermon, he gives this short section at the end of chapter 7 which compares these two builders one of whom builds on the solid rock and the other who builds on the sand. In both cases, the builders have heard the words of Jesus. Unfortunately, only one of those builders acted upon those words and responded to the teaching of Jesus. You see, hearing sermons is a dangerous business if one does not put them into practice let me say that again hearing sermons is a dangerous business if you don't put them into practice see it's easy enough to listen to something it's harder to to really dig in and to really hear what a person is saying but it's even harder still to put what you've heard into practice and yet it would seem like this is the exact choice that Jesus lays out for us at the end of Matthew chapter 7, we've got to hear and respond to his teaching. See, when I was, when I was being raised as a, as a child, I went to church every week, sometimes three times a week. You know, it was back then it was a Sunday morning, Sunday evening, a Wednesday evening. I went and I heard all the messages. I knew all the stories. I had the head knowledge. But I didn't know Jesus. I didn't have a relationship with him. So I went through grade school, through high school, even into college. I wasn't living a life that I probably should have been living because I didn't have that relationship with him. See, it wasn't until law school that I developed that relationship with Jesus and made that decision to follow him. See, it's that, it demonstrates the importance of both hearing and responding. I could hear all I wanted. I could hear all the sermons I wanted, but until I responded, it didn't change my life. It's easy enough to listen. It's harder to hear and harder still to put what you've heard into practice. See, if this resonates with, with you, then be encouraged about this fact. Even the closest disciples of Jesus who traveled with him, who lived with him, it took them years upon years to really put into practice the things that he told them. So there's grace for the process. At the same time, there's also encouragement to listen and to respond, to choose to be like that wise builder who built on the solid rock and not like the foolish builder who built on the sand. See, that way, when the storms come, which they will, you can, be, you can make the most of it knowing that your hope is firm and secure in Jesus. Now, the next story I want to talk to you about this morning is a bit of a longer one, but it highlights the beauty and the, the freedom of living a life anchored in Christ. It's a story that comes from the missionary journey of a man named Paul. You see, in Philippians 4.11, Paul said this, I have learned to be content 
whatever the circumstances. And for Paul, that contentment included being shipwrecked, being stranded for months on a strange island. And here's how the story begins. When it was decided that we would set sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Andramatium, about to set sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia. And we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed in Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus, where the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Sicilia and Pamphylia, we landed in Myra in Lycia. Then the centurion from found an Alexandrian ship set, setting sail for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving at Snidus. When the wind did allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete opposite of Salome. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because it was now after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, men, I see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. See, in the first part of this story, we learn that Paul is a prisoner and he's being transported via ship to Italy. By verse 9, after many exchanges, we learn that the journey has already been a difficult one and one that they had lost much time. And in verse 10, Paul tells them, I can see that our voyage, it's going to be disastrous. There's going to be great loss to this ship and to the cargo and, and maybe even to us. But Paul's not saying if disaster comes. He's saying when it comes. But as you imagine, they, they didn't listen to Paul. I mean, he was a prisoner. And they did, certainly they just kept going along the way that they had planned. See, this exchange reminds me of one of the most sobering Proverbs that you probably will ever read. It's Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 1, which says, Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will be suddenly destroyed without remedy. So why is it? Why is it that we are so stubborn to the wisdom of others? Why don't we just build our proverbial houses on the rock? And, and why didn't that centurion listen to Paul's warning about the ship? See, that with the, as we continue in that story, they set sail. And hurricane forces arrive. The ship is driven pretty much wherever the wind wants them to go. They can't control the ship anymore. In fact, they lower an anchor. 
but the wind is so strong that it continues to drive the ship. The anchor has no effect. They, they start to panic. They start to throw the cargo overboard to try and lighten the ship. And it says that on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. This, this is no ordinary storm. We're three days into this storm at this point. The storms continue to rage. They, do, they can't even see the sun or the stars. It says that they give up all hope they weren't eating you can imagine that probably makes sense a storm on a boat that like that you probably aren't going to want to eat at that point and but on the paul tells them and one you kind of look at this and then paul you know maybe that's not the best thing for paul to say but but he says you should have listened to me maybe a little braggadocious there he says but don't give up hope keep courage See, this ship will be lost, but we will all be saved. Because an angel has told me that. See, then it tells us that on the 14th night, not just three days, 14 days this storm has been raging, and they, they are still adrift. And they take soundings, and they can tell that they're getting a little bit closer and closer to land. They drop at that point four anchors and they start to pray for daylight and paul tells them you know what we need to eat we need our strength so he tells them to go ahead and eat and he he gives thanks for the bread and he breaks it and everyone eats to their fill 276 people were on board that boat they ate all that they could and then when they were done eating they threw the rest overboard when morning arose they could see land. And they headed towards the land, but they got hung up on a sandbar, and the waves were so crashing against that, that ship, and it started to break apart. But those that could swim swam to shore, and those that couldn't grabbed, bo grabbed boards of the ship being broken apart. And every single person, all 276, made it to shore safely. See, in this section we see that the storm comes. The ship is wrecked, and all the people involved are terrified, except Paul. Because Paul has complete faith and assurance that it will end well because an angel had told him so. And as the story transitions to Acts chapter 28, we learn that that island that they're now stranded on is an island called Malta. And the islanders there show them unusual kindness it says once safely on shore we found out that the island was called malta the islanders showed us unusual kindness they built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man, he must be a murderer. For though he escaped the sea, the goddess of justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and suffered no ill effect. The people expected him to swell up and suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happened to him they changed their minds and said he was a god 
See, the story comes to a close here. And, and a venomous snake jumps out, darts out of the campfire and bites Paul, and it seems as if he's unbothered by it all. Shaking the snake off, and the people are suspicious, but then they're amazed, and finally they're filled with awe that nothing is happening to him. We read next that there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us a generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery, and Paul went in to see him. And after a prayer, he placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came, and they also were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to set sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. See, here we have Paul meets this local Roman official and proceeds to start a healing ministry on the island of Malta where the ship is wrecked and everyone is stranded, but after three months, another ship comes and has been secured, and as the crew is ready to leave, the people of Malta honored Paul and the prisoners and the sailors in many ways, and then they were ready to sail. They furnished them with the, all the supplies that they would need for the rest of the journey. See, through this story, we see what can happen when you, you've made a choice to build your house, your life, on Jesus, the rock. We see what can come from a life that is firm and secure, anchored to Jesus. Here are a few things that I saw as I was reading this story. Paul was completely content throughout the entire violent storm, the shipwreck, even being stranded. It, it, he's, in fact, he seemed to take it all in stride no, and never once complained that his plans were ruined. Number two, Paul took advantage of the time he had while stranded on Malta. He could have just sat there like a prisoner and did nothing and moped and, and, and felt sorry for himself. But instead, he preached the gospel and healed the sick. Could have pouted and moped for three months, but instead he made the best of the situation and treated it as an opportunity instead of a hindrance. And then finally, God supplied all their needs. Through the people of Malta, everything the crew needed was supplied for. They had food, they had a place to stay, they had a new ship, they had provision to continue their journey, which reminds us that God works together for our good see through the storms through the shipwrecks through the snake bites through the sufferings of life you can trust god no matter what and you can trust that he will always be faithful he will work all things according to his will and his purpose so when the storms come choose him Choose his ways above all the others that may appear to be worthwhile in this world. Don't stiffen your neck. Don't reject good wisdom. And like Paul, who knows where your journey may take you. You might just end up on a remote island somewhere for three months ministering to people and growing in fellowship with others. Or maybe eight months 
You see, as I've mentioned before, it's not a matter of if the thorns will come. It's a matter of when. The question for us is, will you be ready? Will you have a firm and secure anchor for your soul? I can't imagine a ship ever leaving port without having an anchor on board. But why is it that so many of us just float through life with no real direction in our life, no plan for when adversity comes, and no anchor on board to help us? Maybe that's you here today. Maybe you don't see the need for an anchor in your life. Maybe you never really had to plan ahead. Maybe you just have had an easy life up to this point. You don't think about hardships. You don't think about suffering. Maybe you hear the messages, but you never put them into practice. Whatever the case may be, wherever you find yourself at today, I want to encourage you, choose Jesus. Choose him over any other thing in this world. Even if those things sound good, even if they sound like it's a, a secure option. Because I can assure you that if it is not Jesus that you're securing your hope to, it's not going to hold fast in the fiercest storms of this life. When the storms come, when the suffering comes, when adversity arrives, make sure that you have a firm grip on Jesus, the solid rock. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe that's where you find yourself. Maybe you've just been hearing messages, but you've never applied it to your life. Maybe you've never committed your life to be in a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've built your house on the sand. Today, if you want to recommit your life or maybe commit it for the very first time and build your relationship on the rock, if you will, just stand as I pray. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to trust you and to put our faith in you always. Through every trial, through every storm, maybe even through the success and the suffering, help us to know that we need you. Oh Jesus, how I need you. In Jesus' name.